Bawale for the win. Good! wins the national championship for Notre Dame. Pino gets the crossing. He's towards one championship medal she is the greatest of all time you just can't say it enough wow women singles champion Serena Williams large Williams into Bird in the corner you bet she's done it again Sue Bird you're listening to All In a women's sports podcast on WFUV Sports Welcome in to tonight's Wednesday edition of All In alongside Julia Moss and Annabelle Watson. I'm Miles Grossman. A lot to unpack. Really the WNBA season winding down. Lots of Liberty Aces talk. Also the whole scandal in Spain. Tons to get into there. But it's also the first day of school here at Fordham University. So some fun talk. We'll get into that fun at the end, bringing us back in person for the first time in quite a while. Summer is over, but first I want to start off in the, in the W. Five games left for the New York Liberty, and it really seems that the battle between these two super teams, New York and Las Vegas, is really as tight as it's ever been. New York really pushing ahead, winning the season series 3-2, along with the Commissioner's Cup on the road in Las Vegas. Julia, I mean, in my eyes, you know, I was super pessimistic early on about the Liberty's chances to really topple the Aces, but right now, it seems it's about as even as it's ever been. Well, first, I just want to say how excited I am that I'm, like, looking at two people who are sitting actually <laughs> right next to me and talking about the Liberty on All In rather than a computer screen. This is... I People... I. I understand like people do get it like how awful sometimes zoom is but this is it's nothing unparalleled there's nothing like it being able to talk sports with people in the room so I want to say that first and then also another good note the Liberty are really freaking good like they are a great team and we expected it coming into the season and I kind of want to clip what I said about the Liberty at the very beginning because it really has come to fruition quite well. Everyone thought like, okay, the Liberty super team, they're just going to pummel their way to the end. I was definitely under the impression of like, let's slow down. They're going to have to play into this season. There are a bunch of really great players that don't know how to play with one another quite yet. And then people started hitting the panic button after the Washington first game, after they got pummeled in the very first game of the season. But I didn't hit the panic button. I was expecting it. And then look where we are now. They really they own the aces to be completely honest like the aces have gotten a couple games on them but at this point it's like it really seems like the aces just have all of their worst games against the liberty but at some point you have to think like if there's a common denominator domin oh my god a common denominator that many times the liberty might just be the better team yeah i mean at this point it really seems so i mean you know Sabrina Unescu really coming to her own alongside the other superstars that have joined her. And, you know, Annabelle, it seems that Jonquil Jones has been kind of an unsung hero for the Liberty as of late, really a, a strong suit rebounding-wise. But outside of Jonquil, you know, everyone's coming to their own, particularly Sabrina. What have you seen from, from Sabrina and Jonquil that has really kind of looked like more of a kind of a one-two punch around Stewie that they didn't see before? Yeah, I think you're seeing Sab kind of back off those three-pointers and, you know, go to the rim more, more assists, and I think that's that's very special because, you know, this is a team that coming into this season, we were expecting 
all these players to play a role. And I think early on in this season, it seemed to kind of just be the Stewie show. She was the one who was leading the team and it, and it was it was totally on her. And I think now we're starting to see Stewie, Sab, and John Quell work together. And that's why this team is having success. Um, you know, and I think it's also important that this is coming at a time when they're in playoff situations. Um, you know, they're in in pretty big moments and and they're succeeding. I think that's really, really important. What's so interesting to me about this, specifically with Sabrina Unescu, is that there was a point in the season where we were like, maybe she's just a facilitator. Maybe maybe that's her role where she's just kind of there to take, you know, some pressure, some double teams at some point to open up other players. Because there were, there were games where she got like four points, seven points, eight points. And for Sabrina Unescu coming off last season, that's not those the numbers that you're expecting to see. But uh, it's clearly not been the case at all the past few games. And what's so interesting to me and Miles, we talked about it off air before is that, you know, when you've got a, a team with Brianna Stewart, John Quill Jones, Benaja Laney, you know, Courtney Vandersloot, who is your true facilitator, where do you put the the focus? And according to uh, Becky Hammond, Las Vegas's head coach is that Sabrina has actually been like the focus for them, which is really highlights how hard it is to guard this Liberty team because if you put all your focus on Sabrina Unescu, Brianna Stewart's going to get you 40 points. Like it, like if she's if Brianna Stewart's not your focus, she's going to kill you on that. But on the other hand, if Sabrina Unescu's not your focus, she might also kill you on that as well. So it, it really seems kind of impossible to guard this team. You're exactly right, and I think you know what what Julia is referencing there is after I believe it must have been some sort of veteran aces reporter because it seemed those two kind of had that rapport mm-hmm. they, they, you know she called first name bases it seemed jokingly yeah, yeah right or that you know it, no one really recognizes sabrina as as a top option any longer even though she was known as the by far the dominant she option the last liberty. year right she was the entire team a sabrina inescu three-point shot was the best look the liberty could get last year and obviously now that they have a variety of options it's not really so much the case but i think one of the things that really stands out is what you touched on, Annabelle, is that Sabrina has become so much more of a driver in, is since the All-Star break. I actually have a, have a great stat right here. So this is per Calvin <laughs> Wetzel of Her Hoop Stats. Got, got to give him credit. Give credit where credit is due. But the, the All-Star break was you know really a turning point for Sabrina. Going into the All-Star break, she was shooting 44% around the rim, the worst in the W for someone averaging more than two attempts per contest. And then you look at her last five games, 84% around the rim. That's right up there with the best in the league. Asia Wilson right at there mm-hmm. at, at 84% too. So, you know, I think it just says so much about the kind of player Sabrina can be when she's aggressive, when she's driving to the cup. There were so many opportunities where even last time against the Aces, if she was not finishing, she was drawing contact. And that's huge. She's a super reliable foul shooter. So, you know, Sabrina opening up that different dimension of her game, driving to the cup, not only, you know, adds efficiency there, but also, you know, it makes her so non-one-dimensional that defenses have to lay off that three-point shot a little bit, right? You have to recognize that she can pass, she can shoot, she can dribble, so you kind of have to give her a a little bit more space. And I think, you know, it's really been interesting to see the way this unit has come together because I think that potential for... For Sabrina in this new role was always there, but now now it really seems that this is this is the cap that we always thought could be there. And what's crazy is that there's so many different aspects 
of this team that are so good. Like you have Sabrina Unescu who can kind of do it all. But then you also have Brianna Stewart who's I saw this video the other day and it was Brianna Stewart and Rebecca Lobo standing side by side. And then they were comparing wingspans. They're at the same exact height. Yes. And Brianna Stewart's wingspan is just ridiculous. Like it's seven one. And the the reporter asked, like, how often do you get your shot blocked? And she I mean, honestly, <laughs> she said once in a blue moon. So sure her shot is like essentially unblockable because not only is she so tall her arms are so long Mm -hmm. and that combo is just ridiculous like Rebecca Lobo also a dominant player uh, obviously retired now but used to be a very dominant player and she did all that with a significantly shorter wingspan although still very you know a lot bigger than the rest of the WNBA (laughs) I mean she's very tall but it's it's just almost unfair at the team that they've assembled here because you've got yeah. John Cole Joe. I mean, you look you look down this lineup and then there's a, so many like Maureen Johannes who is incredible. I mean, I know you saw that that crazy step back shot. Like, oh my gosh. I I love this team so much and I got off track a little bit. But my question <laughs> my question here and I want to ask both of you guys this is there's been a lot throughout the season, staying on the topic of Sabrina Unescu, it's really felt like she's kind of turned into a bit of a villain. In the, within the WNBA community. Yeah. So I wanted to know, like, what your thoughts on that were and if you think it's it's earned. Like, what has she done? Because I've sometimes left myself wondering, like, I mean, she's just out there bawling. Like, why do so many people hate her? Do you want to go ahead? No. Uh, I mean, I th- like, I think she's just a frustrating player yeah. to have to guard and to have to play against. And, I mean, as far as, like, I know there was a lot of backlash with her being on the cover of... That's uh, what I was... Yeah, like, why mm. were so many people so mad about that? I I don't know. I think maybe it's just easy to target someone who is the star on the best team. it, It is puzzling. I agree. I think she's probably just frustrating to play against. Uh, in all honesty, I don't know why she... I think maybe sometimes people think other players should be represented because right. Sab is extremely she at this point I think you could kind of call her the face of the WNBA she got that cut the 2k cover she has a Nike shoe where you know a lot of other players don't get that kind of love and so maybe they they feel like Sab shouldn't be the face I it is it's very puzzling because she comes across very classy very graceful so I don't know why it, it's definitely very interesting I think part of it has to be that she was kind of given a lot of praise or credit before she really made much of an impact in the league. And that mm-hmm. frustrated some folks who have kind of, you know, she, she was a superstar coming out of Oregon. And there aren't that many superstars at that level where, you know, obviously the, the Stewies of the world are and the and the Tarasis and the generational talents. But, you know. Sabrina was kind of tossed into that category early in her career, which she hadn't done all that much. And I think that, you know, because we're New York, we're, we're Liberty people, right? We're Liberty locals. And I think if you're on the outside looking in, it's kind of like, well, what has she done? You know, what? why do we why do we praise her in this manner? Why do we put her in that point gods of the W category like those vets, even though she kind of hasn't done all that much to deserve it, right? The, the Liberty had really no playoff success prior to, to what they're building here with with Sabrina, so I I think she's also yeah I'd say it was it's it's probably the pace at which she rose to this kind of unbelievable superstar level without much uh, without many uh, without much winning or many accolades to kind of back it up and say hey here's the resume. 
Yeah. I I mean, it definitely works in her favor that now she's like really heating up. Yeah. Because now it seems like the people who are doubting her before, they look a little silly. But there is an alternate world where, you know, she could have kept on, a, you know, a steady like eight points per game, 10 points per game kind of um, role that she had been on for a minute. And then you look back and you're like, okay, maybe that hate is deserved. Yeah. And I, you know, before we wrap up our, our WNBA talk again into some women's soccer, I wanted to pivot a little bit to the Las Vegas Aces. I mean, the Aces are a team that have kind of the way they've built themselves up, you just expect them to win night in and night out. You expect such professional consistency. And this month has really been one of the uglier months in the Becky Hammond era in Las Vegas, right? Their last loss on the road at the Liberty, 94-85, at the hands of a super steam. So you'd say relatively excusable, but that was a big game, losing the season series. And that's just something the Las Vegas Aces don't do, lose season series. So that was, at the end of the day, pretty shocking. And that's also coming off a road loss at the Mystics, 78-62, and that's back-to-back losses once again. Something that we are just not used to seeing out of the Las Vegas Aces. And, you know, I I was lucky enough to be at the most recent two Liberty games in New York with the Aces. And both times when the Liberty asserted their dominance, it wasn't so much that the Liberty were doing it themselves. It was that the Aces looked just so frustrated, right? Refusing to move the ball. One pass and a silly shot. A frustrated look turning into no pass and a frustrated fast break look. I mean, just possession after possession of of kind of relying on talent more than ball movement, which is so against that that Aces ethos that they've built under Ham the last couple of years, Julia. I mean, it, what do you think is kind of happening in Las Vegas? What has created this, this seemingly period of turmoil? I mean, there's got to be a balance here when you're looking at it, right? Like, the, the Aces are consistently appearing frustrated against the Liberty. Like you said, those shots they're putting up, not good ball movement, not good, doesn't feel like they have chemistry on the court, which is so opposite of what you feel when you typically watch this Aces team that you have to understand that like, yes, like they're going through it right now in a, in a sense. And everyone has those kind of droughts, very unfortunate timing for the Aces. But on the other hand, it's like maybe the Liberty have figured out what makes the Aces tick on the court. Like maybe that's why they're so frustrated because the game plan defensively is just exactly what the Liberty needed. And the Aces are still trying to work their way into uh, figuring out how to get on the other end of it. Because there's got to also be something to be said about the fact that they've played each other so many times in such a short period of time that it's tough to change the game plan so so frequently when you're playing the same team over and over and over again the NBA schedule make WNBA schedule makers I don't know what they were thinking like mm-hmm. scheduling this te- this matchup so many times it takes away in my opinion from the actual authenticity of the game itself because you have to think about this kind of stuff where they're playing each other so many times in such a short period of time and then there's the playoffs too like that are coming up and they're inevitably likely going to be playing each other in the championship but to go back to the point of you know what's going on with the aces I think I'll have a better answer when they start like now that the Liberty are officially behind the aces for the rest of the season they're not playing again thank god <laughs> It'll be interesting to see how they go from here. I could see them winning out the rest of the games, but I could also see them going like two and three, two and four. I don't know if they have five or six games left, but they need to figure it out quick because 
I, I can't tell yet if it's a Liberty thing, like Liberty defense thing or just an mm-hmm. offensive chemistry thing. But either way, it's very concerning because on one end, it could be, you know, it's just an overall thing that they have to work towards. And then that means they're going to have to work towards that every single game. Or honestly, even worse, if it's just a Liberty thing, you know, you've got to figure out a way to fix that before the championship and you don't play each other again until you likely play in the championship. So it's kind of like a lose-lose if you think about it. But either way, they have a lot of questions to answer, specifically offensively. And that's not a sentence I thought we would be saying about the Aces this season. Yeah, I mean, I think when you look at this most recent game, it's definitely a fatigue thing. They were on the road for five games, Atlanta, Chicago, D.C., and now New York. And they also stopped to the White House to celebrate their championship. So I think it can be easy to blame things entirely on fatigue. I often think that's kind of an easy way out for the teams. Liberty did it and won quite a bit of games. They had a crazy road schedule yeah. and went on a winning streak. I just think that can be a very easy out. When it when a team has a road trip in any sport, when a team has a road trip and they play badly, it is so easy to blame it on fatigue. But, you know, I think that definitely could be the case for the Aces. And, you know, Julia, to kind of go off your point, I think in the Aces next few games, we're really going to find out if this Liberty-Aces matchup is a, is a microcosm. If, you know, it might actually be the, the Liberty defense, it might be the Aces offense. We'll see in these next few games, I think that they really have to play well in these next few games because, you know, they, they need to prove themselves after these Liberty losses and like you said Julia they need to figure it out against the Liberty as well because in all likelihood that's who they're going to be playing in the finals and if they can't figure out their game plan against the arguably most important team not great so and and I have a a question to pose specifically to you guys because you both have a very unique perspective on this on on road trips as a team because Miles you traveled with the women's basketball team all last season really went to almost every game and then Annabelle you traveled with football for both Mm -hmm. the uh both as a manager and for WFUV so you guys really see the impact those road trips kind of have on athletes so Miles I'll start with you like what is that you, you see it up close and personal how much do you think you can actually blame you know, long road trips on losses like that. Yeah, I think you can't really, you know, overstate the impact, especially when you're talking about five, six back-to-back games. I mean, lucky enough for for us with Fordham women's basketball, usually it was just one game. Outside of that, it was either for postseason tournament Mm -hmm. or for, for that one Las Vegas tournament. But usually you would have that strict schedule of a flight day, uh, and then uh, playing the following day, right? Those would be two separate occasions, and you have to assume that those flight days and those travel days become back-to-back-to-back when you're playing this type of WNBA schedule, which has to have an accumulative effect. And, you know, it can just be hard from a mental aspect as well to stay locked in day in and day out, right? You're not in your own bed. You're not eating your normal food, et cetera. You're not seeing your family. So I think, you know, there's no doubt about it that particularly for a kind of developing league, like the WNBA, they're not even traveling the way Fordham women's basketball travels. And that, that, yeah. this has to be taxing on the body. And, you know, yeah. They're the, flying economy. Like. Yeah. <laughs> Luckily, by playoff time, that'll be sorted and that'll all be charters and things like that. But there, but there's no doubt that for a league like the W, it has it's a serious impact, not just an impact. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think about even myself staying in a hotel uh, when we travel for football, no matter how nice the hotel is, you're not going to get the same sleep you do, right. um, you know, in your own bed. Um, like Miles said, you're not eating the same food you normally do. And like 
like Miles said, again, I think when you are in that small little economy seat on a flight, that can really affect you. I think travel really does have an impact in, you know, staying staying focused is very hard because travel is stressful. You have to, you know, worry about different accommodations, especially in the W. So it, it's definitely mentally taxing and physically taxing. And then I know there was this one week of Liberty basketball where the schedule was just like five games in eight days. And I was mm-hmm. report- I went to all of the games and I remember like by that fourth or fifth game, I was like, I'm tired. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not on the court playing and I'm sick of this. Like this yeah. schedule is absolutely ridiculous. So I can't even imagine what it's like for the players. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the Liberty will have a couple nights off and they'll host the sun this upcoming Friday, 8 PM. We'll be there for WFUV sports. And on the other side, the ACE is back in action a little sooner believe just tomorrow evening, Thursday the 31st. They'll be back home, this time hosting the Mystics. And, of course, the Mystics beat the Aces last time those two faced off. So should be a good bounce-back opportunity for those Aces at home. But there's no doubt about it. Five games left for the Liberty, and it really seems that battle between New York and Las Vegas is as tight as ever. But now we're going to pivot a little bit to some women's soccer, a, a genuine scandal when it comes to the FIFA Women's World Cup. Luis Rubiales, the president possibly on the way out alongside Jorge Vilda. Julia, I know you're far more (laughs) informed on this than I am. Why don't you break it down for us? So I don't know if we've actually talked about this on All In. I know we we really broke it down with like a 28-minute segment about it on One on One if you want to hear, you know, a very extensive outlook on it uh, about a week ago. But what's gone on is so crazy because so first this past year, like Spain's women's team has really just been under a microscope because you know the whole team quit about a year ago when they said we're not going to play under this guy Jorge Vilda because he's abusive he's too controlling he makes the players keep their hotel door rooms open during trips checks their bags when they go shopping it's just weird especially when you think about you know this is like a man in power like and he's coaching a women's team like it's it's just really weird and then you see what else has been happening within Spain's federation and it's even worse um so they all quit about a year ago they brought back three of the players um who quit for the world cup team everyone else were replacements so I mean if you think about just what the players have had to go go through it really is incredible that they won this world cup because of just like they had to replace the whole squad and the players really like all the credit should go to them. No credit should go to this manager because he is an awful guy. And it really seems like throughout the whole tournament, they were playing in spite of him, not because of him. Um, They would turn their shirts on backwards. You know, they wouldn't celebrate with him. If you look at the celebrations after these matches that Spain would win, it would be all the players celebrating together and then completely ignoring their manager, Jorge Vilda. And then, you you know, that's not typically the kind of environment you see after a win. It's usually very cohesive and, and all together, but, when you have a coach that's super abusive in that way, you see things like this happen. So that happened first. That surprisingly enough, that's not even the real story here. Um, but after that, so just to set the scene, you know, it's already like people are talking about this a lot. It's not really this focus isn't really on Spain. But then Spain wins the World Cup, and you know, people within the women's soccer fan community are very conflicted on like should we be happy for the players or should we be upset that you know now Jorge Vilda has a World Cup under his under his belt. Um, but then you don't even really get that much time to think about that because then a worse scandal happens. And that is the president, uh, Ruby Alice 
president of Spain's Federation who has defended Jorge Vilda throughout this whole process, um, which makes sense now considering how they're both acting. Uh, Ruby Alice kissed uh, star player Jenny Hermoso on the lips when they were handing out the medals at the end and he was like already like really touching up on players in a weird way before that and to be clear none of these players like him so that's weird in itself and um so when he kissed Jenny Hermoso she was very obviously immediately not happy about it because it was very like not her choice unconsensual um and since then uh just a ton of uh rhetoric has happened about that no one is really talking about the fact Spain won the world cup which is really unfortunate um, because you know the players accomplished something very incredible, but um, where it's at now, it seems like uh, the president is going to be asked to resign, and as is Luis Rubiales or uh, Jorge Villa, Jorge Vilda, because the whole coaching staff quit too. Besides him, so it really puts FIFA and Spain in a situation of like we have no players, we have no coaching staff. How how much of a hill is this that we can die on before we just have to like start over and, and accept that this is wrong? Yeah, no, it seems that neither side is backing down is the weirdest part. Because it seems, I mean, at least in American sports, it one has to assume if, if, if a team were to take this stand, it, it'd be pretty shocking for, you know, I mean, just the way our kind of culture is at this point, that that they that they wouldn't back down. That they would say, hey, no, this is, you know, I'm standing by my clearly wrong actions like I've, I've never seen so someone so blatantly you know stand by their wrongdoing if you watch the clip of his because like it seemed like from the very beginning ruby alice was gonna resign like a, a news broke that like immediately when all of this happened he was gonna resign but then he in in the interview where or in the report where he's talking to press where it seemed like he was going to resign he did not he did a full 180 and instead quadrupled down on his action saying that like you know he didn't do anything wrong he's a victim of false feminism they're trying to kill him very like trump-esque if you think about like the craziness yes. of a speech um except in in a soccer kind of capacity so it was, it was insane it is, the whole thing is crazy these people are ignorant they're sex deeply sexist and you know obviously abusive yeah, I mean, I think the most tragic thing here is that these players have fought through something that was incredibly awful and they still won the World Cup. And no and one's talking about it. No one is talking about the fact that they won the World Cup. It's all about this. And I think that's the most tragic thing and, you know, really should the focus should be on them. But how can the focus be on them when something like this is happening? Right. And it it's a, another weird, like, moral limbo of, like, we want the focus to be on the players and, it, you know, they need to be praised because they've won a World Cup. But also, if, if we're not talking about this, you know, we're also doing a disservice to the right. future of women's football or women's soccer because, you know, if, if this isn't handled and it seems like the only way that this is going to get handled is if there's public outrage. Mm -hmm. But in order to do that, you have to limit, you know, spotlight on other things. And it's it's just a weird back and forth of like it really needs to change and people need to know that this isn't right. But the players also need to feel like they've accomplished something incredible. Exactly. Yeah, and it seems, you know, international attention on, on, on the Spanish Football Federation. It'll be interesting to see what they do moving forward. Really never want this kind of attention, and especially on this scale. But that'll do it for this episode of All In from Annabelle Watson, Julia Moss, and Brett Tulip behind On Production. I'm Miles. Thanks so much for listening. As always, this is a production of WFUV Sports.